Let's turn now in the word of the Lord to John chapter 21. And when we have found the place of our reading, let us just unite again in prayer as we pray over the word. <coughs> o oh dear Lord, we bless thee for the one who is our star, the one who is our sun, the one who is our righteousness, the one who is our saviour, the one who is our friend. O oh Lord, we come tonight again to spend time around the word. We know, Lord, there's no better place for us to be on a Sabbath evening, any time, than to be in God's house around the word. Now, Lord, I ask for thy help. As for the help of the Holy Spirit of God. Again, we might be enabled, Lord, to preach the word. And in preaching the word, we'll always preach Christ. Always. We'll preach Christ and make much of him and his finished work. For he has said, I have I be lifted up from the earth. I will draw all men unto me. Help us to lift up Christ. Lord, come and abide with us now. May we have a sense of thy nearness and thy presence. We pray in the Saviour's holy name. Amen. John chapter 21. And our text for this evening is the verse 6. And he said unto him, thus Christ said unto the disciples, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Following his resurrection, the Lord Jesus, according to the Scriptures, made 12 public appearances before he ascended to glory. Of those 12 appearances, this one was at the Sea of Tiberias, and this was the seventh, the seventh of the 12 public appearances. And we see that on this seventh time, when the Lord showed himself, he did so unto seven of his disciples. We know that from verse 2. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel, of Cain of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other of his disciples, seven disciples, were there at the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is the same as the Sea of Galilee. We know that from John chapter 6 and verse 1. 
Because in John 6 verse 1 we read, And after these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So the Sea of Tiberias was the Sea of Galilee. It's interesting what Galilee means. Galilee means a circle. A circle. This is very significant. Because as the Lord showed himself... He did so unto seven of his disciples whose lives had indeed turned a complete circle. They were back where they started, at the Sea of Galilee. Because, you recall, it was at the same Sea of Galilee that the Lord found those disciples, or those who would become his disciples, and he said unto them, Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. The text that the Lord used to call me into the ministry. Matthew 4 verse 19. And so there they were. They'd been fishing in the Sea of Galilee. And where are they now? Some three and a half years later. They're back at the same place. Their lives had turned a complete circle. They were right back where they started. Isn't that the way it is with some? They had not made a great deal of spiritual progress. They go on for a while. They go on well for a few years. And then they get sidetracked. And then they get out of step with the Lord. And they get away from the Lord. And where do we find them not? They're back where they started. Their lives have gone a complete circle. They haven't gone on. And gone on to higher heights with God. Lord lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord set my feet on higher ground. Not these disciples. They were back where they started. They were back at the Sea of Galilee. Oh, they had promised so much. They had attempted things for God. But now they're back at the Sea of Tiberias. They're back at the Sea of Galilee. What progress have we made? It's good for us always to examine our hearts and examine our lives. Have we gone on with God? How much higher up the mountain? Have we got? Or are we still at the Sea of Tiberias? Well, it was there that the dear Lord Jesus showed himself. It's always good when Christ shows himself. And showed himself to the seven. And there he rescued them from their faltering ways. This is a lovely portion of Scripture. I want us first of all to consider the disciples and their disappointment. We're given the names of five of the seven disciples and then there were the two other of his disciples. They were men who had disappointed themselves and more importantly, they had disappointed the Lord. 
regarding the disappointment, notice first of all, they were the fallen disciples. These men had fallen far from what the Lord had called them to do. He had called them to be fishers of men. The same thing is found in Matthew 10 verses 1, 7 and 8. They were given power to preach. But where is the power now? Where is their preaching now? There is Simon Peter who denied the Lord and the others who deserted the Lord. There they are, all back at the Sea of Galilee. You know, we often refer to someone who's rather confused about something and they're not too sure about what they should do or what direction they should go and we sort of say to them oh that individual he's all at sea we've used that term he's all at sea he doesn't know what to do we could use that term to describe these seven disciples the seven disciples were all at sea literally they were all at sea emotionally and they were all at sea spiritually. What were they going to do? They had failed their Lord. As we say, Peter had denied the Lord with oaths and curses. Every one of them had deserted the Lord. Not what the Lord said when the sheep would be taken, or when the shepherd would be taken, the sheep would be scattered. And boy, were they scattered. And what were they going to do now? Was their ministry over? Was that the end of their discipleship? Would the master have them back again? After all that they had done to him? Back where they started. You could describe those seven disciples as backsliders. They had slid backwards. They hadn't gone on. They had slid backwards. And there they were where they started out. What could they do? What would they do? Was that the end of their ministry? Solomon tells us something about the backslider. Proverbs 14, verse 14. The backslider in heart. See? It's in the heart. What's in the heart will be seen in the person's life. They can all put on a show, but it's what's in the heart. And sooner or later, what's in the heart will come out. And here Solomon says the backslider in heart is filled with his own ways. That's what we have here. Because the disciples are back at their fishing. The hearts of the seven disciples were indeed were filled with their own ways. They were certainly not filled with the Lord's ways. Here you have then the fallen disciples. Next you see the fishing disciples. As far as the seven were concerned, there was nothing for them to do 
that failed the Lord, that deserted him, that gone back. There was nothing for them to do except to go back to their old trade. What was it? Fishing. First of all, regarding the fishing disciples, we notice the proposal. Peter says, I go a-fishing. There was the proposal. You know, whenever you're studying a portion of Scripture, you read, of course, whatever commentaries you have on the subject. And I was quite surprised that some commentators actually commended Peter and the others for going back to fishing. They don't believe that Peter and the others did anything wrong by going back to the fishing. Now personally, I don't agree with that. I can't agree with that. Here Peter proposed, I go a-fishing. And the others said, we also go with thee. But that is what the Lord had called Peter from. The Lord, in Matthew 4.19, had called Peter and the others from fishing. And what do we read in Matthew 4.19? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. They left their nets. But what do we find now? They're back again with their nets. And they're back doing the very thing the Lord had called them from. They were to be fishers of men. They were to win souls. They were to go out and through their ministry extend the kingdom of heaven by winning the lost. The Lord had called them from fishing. Matthew 5, verse 10. A similar incident took place. Disciples labored all night and caught nothing. But there in Luke 5, verse 10, we read, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. You take time to go through the Gospels, and you'll find that that was the third time that the Lord called Peter and the others. First time was there in Matthew four nineteen. And they forsook their ship. They left their ship and followed him. And here it was another occasion. And then this occasion in Luke 5 was the third time that these disciples had forsaken their ships or their, their nets. But now it's more definite. For this time in Matthew or Luke 5 and verse 11, And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all. A whole lot. You forsake all. That's what it is to serve the Lord. You forsake all. He's first. It's all him. It's all Christ. They forsook all and followed him. But here's Peter and he's gone back along with the others. He's gone back to the nets. He's gone back to the ship. He's gone back to the fishing. 
Instead of for fishing for souls, he's fishing for fish. I do not see any area where Peter and the others can be commended. They're back where the Lord had called them from. Instead, I see this whole episode as being very sad. It is. Isn't it sad when you see someone who loved the Lord and were heavily involved in the Lord's work and then for one reason or another or whatever reason they give up the Lord's work. And I think it's very sad. It's very sad for these disciples. The proposal Paul said in Galatians 5 and verse 7, Ye did run well, Peter. You could say that. You could address those words to Peter. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Peter, you used to run well. It's one thing about Peter. Of course, he was just one of the seven. But one thing about Peter, you read about him in the Gospels, and he was always ready to defend the Lord. Not to commend him for that. Until the, the last when he forsook the Lord. But here he is. Here's his proposal. I go a-fishing. We notice as well as the proposal, notice the promptness. There was not, no hesitation among the disciples when Peter said, I go a-fishing. We read in verse 3, They say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship. What? Immediately. Immediately. They obviously did not give any thought, any thought whatsoever to their actions. They did not give any thought to what the Lord had called them to to be fishers of men. When Peter says, I go a-fishing, they say unto him, we also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. Did not give any thought to the Lord's word to them and what he had called them to be, to be fishers of men. But then, as already said, the backslider, according to Solomon, in his heart shall be filled with his own ways. Peter was filled now with his own ways. And for the seven disciples, it was their own way, it wasn't God's way. So we have the fallen disciples. We have the fishing disciples. You notice also the field disciples. For the seven it just seemed that things went from bad to worse. For we read in verse 3, And Simon saith unto them, I go a-fishing, they say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth, 
and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Two words sum up what those disciples were about. Two words, night, nothing. Night and nothing. That was their experience. Night it was a night for them. It was a night for them spiritually. Yes, it was a natural night. They toiled all night and caught nothing. But it was a night of a spiritual night for them as well. What were they to do? They failed the Lord. They denied the Lord. They'd forsaken the Lord. What were they going to do? It was an awful night experience for them. It was a night, and it was a night of nothing. You think of it. They had empty nets. They had empty hands. And they had empty hearts. They had fished all night, but had nothing to show for their labors. What a truly dark night that must have been for these experienced fishermen. Something, as already mentioned, they had experienced before. Over in Luke chapter 5. There we read in Luke 5. We read in verse 4, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. They had already been fishing. Let down your nets for a draft. Look at the words carefully. And Simon answered, answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. I said, note the words. Peter did not obey the Lord's word. What did the Lord tell him to do? Verse 4. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Plural. Let down your nets. What did Peter do? And Simon answering unto it, Answering him said, Master, we have toiled all the night never and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy will, I will let down what? The net. The Lord told him to let down all his nets. And he only let down one net. He could have caught more fish if he had obeyed the Lord. He only let down one net. But the point is, they had labored all night and they had caught nothing. And it was not until they had put the Lord in control that they caught anything. Sure, it's not the way it is. We need to put the Lord in control of our lives. We'll not accomplish anything if we don't put the Lord in control. Have him in his rightful place. Needs to be on the throne of our hearts. 
We speak of him as our being, as being our king. Well, is he on the throne of our lives? Is he on the throne of our hearts? And here for these disciples, all is dark. There's a spiritual emptiness that nothing but Christ can fill. We've seen the disappointed disciples. Now we come to the better part. We come now and look at the directive for the disciples. That long, dark, disappointing night eventually came to an end. But with no fish in the net, their labors that night had been all in vain. But then suddenly, a stranger appeared on the shore. In verse 4, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Notice first of all the arrival of Christ. I said this morning we don't really know the Lord and how he handles situations and how he handles people. Here's the arrival of Christ. No, he hadn't left them. No, he hadn't abandoned them. Instead, he came seeking for them. You think of it. If somebody or a group of people treated you or me the way those disciples treated Christ, how would we feel? Let's be honest about it. If people treated us the way those disciples treated Christ, what would we say? Well, be gone. You've had it. You needn't expect me to do anything for you. I don't care to ever see you again. That's how we would react. But not Christ. And here we have the arrival of Christ. He didn't leave them. He didn't abandon them. He didn't treat them that way. Oh, you deserted me. You disowned me with those and curses. That's all right then. You can go your own way. No, no, Christ isn't like that. And here he is, the stranger on the shore. We see, first of all, the Savior. Isn't it interesting that when the Lord arrived, we're told the morning was now come. 
The disciples had labored all night and caught nothing. But the morning was now come, and with the morning came Christ. Or with Christ came the morning. Who is Christ? He's the bright and the morning star. He heralds the morning in the arrival of Christ upon the scene, heralded for those disciples the dawn of a new day. You know, when you're waking early in the morning and maybe you look out of the window and it's all pitch black, but there you see the morning star. And you know, not for too long, before the sun comes up and it gets brighter and the darkness will be gone. And it'll be the dawn of a new day. And for these disciples, the arrival of Christ, the Savior, on the shore that morning was for those disciples the dawn of a new day. It was the dawn of a new day. And who is Christ? Yes, he's the bright and the morning star, but he's also the son of righteousness who has arisen with healing in his wings. And for those disciples, when Christ came that morning and stood on the shore... All the night shadows were gone. And the sun was shining again. The sun was shining again. Because the Lord was there. Isn't that what those disciples needed? That's what those disciples needed. Someone to lift the gloom in their lives and that someone was the Savior yes the Savior had come but then we read but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus isn't that interesting so regarding the arrival we see the Savior and then we see the stranger But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Now once again, different views have been put forth as to why those disciples didn't recognize the Lord. Different views. I have my own. I'll tell you why I think those disciples didn't recognize the Lord. They didn't recognize the Lord because they didn't expect him there. They thought their ministry was finished. They thought their discipleship had been terminated. As far as those disciples were concerned, Christ was the last person they expected to see on the shore that morning. After all that they had done and all that they had said. Call. When Peter was recognized as one of the Lord's disciples, what did he say? Then began he to curse. And swear, saying, 
I know not the man. Again, notice the words. He did not say, I know not the Christ. He did not say, I know not Jesus. He said, I know not the man. It shows you how much distance he wanted to put between himself and Christ. That he couldn't even bring himself to call him by name. He simply said, Behold, I know not the man. He had completely disowned the Lord Jesus. So why would the Lord come seeking for him? Because that's who Christ is. That's who he is. No, we may not have dealt with the disciples the way Christ did. We may have said, well, you treated me like that. Well, you'll not do that again. That's how we would have reacted. But not the Savior. There he was. The stranger on the shore. He had come seeking those same disciples. He had come seeking that same disciple who with oaths and curses had completely disowned Christ and said, I know not the man. Couldn't even bring himself to mention the Lord's name. And yet there's the Lord, the stranger on the shore. And to me, that's why they didn't recognize him, because they didn't expect him to be there. As well as the arrival of Christ, you have also the address by Christ. When the Lord spoke to the fishermen, notice how he addressed them. He said, children, have you any meat? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yes, we might describe it as amazing grace. Amazing grace in light of all that had happened, the denials, the desertions, and the departures from service and from him. How did he address them? Children. He could easily have come to them and said, Hi, you deserters. You deniers. Have you any meat? No. As we say again, that's not Christ. He said, children. Children. Have you any meat? That speaks to us, first of all, of a relationship. Children. When speaking to them before their denial and their desertions, the Lord addressed them in the same way. For we read in John 13, verse 33, Little children, 
Yet a little while I am with you. And now after all that had taken place, the Lord still called them children. Isn't that something? See, no matter what had taken place, the relationship between Christ and the disciples had remained the same. The relationship was the same. Oh, yes. The fellowship had been broken. But praise God, the relationship was still there, still intact. They were still the children of God. Christ is so different from us, isn't he? The Lord will never abandon his children. Again, when an individual gives their testimony, I know in Ulster, they give their testimony, and one of the things they, every person who gives their testimony seems to say, I have failed him, but he has never failed me once, and that's true. And every one of us here have failed the Lord, failed the Lord, and failed him time and time and time again, but we're still his children. And when we feel him, the fellowship is affected. When we feel him, we don't walk as close to him as we ought. But praise God, we're still his children. We're still the children of God. There's the relationship. There's the respectfulness. That word children that the Lord used may also be rendered sirs. Sirs, have ye any meat? Isn't this amazing? That again, all that those disciples had done and all that Peter had said, yet the Lord still calls them children and he still addressed them as sirs. There's his respectfulness. You recall Judas Iscariot? Remember when Judas led that band of rebels into the garden? And there's Judas and he comes and he approaches the Lord. He told those who had come to arrest the Lord that he would kiss the one that they were to take. And there's Judas, and he approaches the Savior in Gethsemane. And as Judas approaches the Lord, how does the Lord address him? Friend, wherefore art thou come? 
I tell you, we're so unlike the Lord. Here's the Lord Jesus, and he knew from the beginning who would betray him. And of that man, he said it would have been better if he had never been born. And he knew Judas would sell him for 30 pieces of silver. Remember, at the Last Supper, he said, The hands of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. He knew all along who would betray him. And yet when the actual act of betrayal came, and he'll go forward and kiss the Lord, it's supposed to be a symbol of love. A token of love. Judas never loved the Lord. And yet when he stepped forward to betray Christ, the Lord said, friend. Called him friend. Friend, wherefore art thou come? That's who Christ is. That's who he is. Can we say we're like him? Can we say how alike we are to the Lord Jesus? Would we treat Someone who betrayed us as Judas betrayed the Lord, would we address them the same way? Would we still call them friend? Then Christ is so different from us, and we are so unlike him in many ways. We might join with those in the synagogue in Nazareth. And they heard the Lord speak. What was their testimony? And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They all, all wondered. They were filled with wonderment at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And there he is in the, in the garden. Gracious words proceeded out of his mouth. Friend, wherefore art thou come? And there he is in the sea, in the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And gracious words proceed out of us, my children. Sirs, have you any meat? Tremendous. We have the arrival of Christ. We have the address by Christ. We have the, ad the advice by Christ. When the Lord challenged the disciples saying, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. Of course the Lord knew. He just wanted them to admit to themselves that they had failed. 
Now what happens when a sinner comes to Christ? The sinner has to confess, I'm a sinner. Well, here the Lord said, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. One word. One small word in our English of two letters. In other words, they didn't have much to say. See, when we get away from God and the word comes to us and challenges us about our slackness and about our waywardness, when the Lord challenges us, we don't have much to say, do we? We're caught out. The disciples were caught out. They didn't have much to say. Then the Lord said, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Verse 6. That, that, that night the disciples had been casting their net on the wrong side of the ship. That's what the Lord said. Cast your net on the right side of the ship. But they didn't have the Lord with them. And so they were casting their net on the wrong side of the ship. Isn't that the way it is? We get so many things wrong when we don't follow and seek the direction of the Lord. The Lord will always show us the right side. He'll always show us the right way. Oh, I know. We think we know the, way, the right way. We think we know the best way. No, we don't. Cast the net on the right side. The right side this time. He will always show us the right side. He will always lead us in the right way. And then the Lord said, And ye shall find. See? When we obey the Lord, we will be fruitful. Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. You will be fruitful. If you follow my directions, if you do as I have said, ye shall find. We have considered the disappointment and of the disciples will be considered the directive for the disciples. And then we have the dining with the disciples. When the seven disciples followed the directive given to them by the Lord, we see the result. We read there in verse 6. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. That's the sort of problems you want. The problems the Lord gives us. Not the problems we give ourselves. The problems the Lord gives us. Here was a problem for the disciples. They were not able to draw the net because of a multitude of fishes. There you have the catch. The disciples having done what the Savior told them, 
They say they had a great catch of fish. Looking at this catch, we see that it was a miracle in so many ways. This was a glorious miracle when we think of, first of all, the location. The disciples had fished all night and they caught nothing. And when the, the Lord said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. They were in the same location, Sea of Galilee. And then you have the light. You see the time of fish, of fishing, was at night. They labored all night. That was the proper time to fish. We know that that in Luke 5, they fished all night, caught nothing. Because that was the proper time to fish. And here we have the Lord telling them to cast the net on the right side of the ship, and it's daytime. As far as man was concerned, it wasn't the right time. Ah, but when the Lord tells us what to do, it's always the right time. And this is something, as we said, the Lord had done before in Luke 5. You see, when the Lord gives a command, we ought to obey no matter what human reasoning has to say. Those fishermen, maybe in their minds, they thought, but this isn't right. This is not the time to fish. They were experienced fishermen. But it doesn't matter about reasoning. We do what the Lord tells us. Because it's always right. You have the location, you have the light, and you have the lot. Again, the disciples toiled night and caught nothing and when the Lord told them to cast the net just once on the right side of the ship the night was filled the net was filled 153 fish there's a great gospel application there when the sinners are caught in the gospel net the Lord knows exactly how many are in the net He knows how many have been saved. He knows how many are going home to glory. As well as the miracle, you have the Master. It's only now that the disciples recognize the Master. And it's interesting to note which of the seven disciples recognized the Lord first. Verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. I think it's interesting that it was John, the beloved disciple, who always referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and the disciple who of all the disciples lived closest. Because he was the one who always leaned on the breast 
and the bosom of Christ. You never read of any other disciple with their head in the bosom of Christ. Only John. It was his recognized position. And there he was. The one who was closest to Christ was the one who recognized him first. And when you're close to Christ, you're the one who'll recognize him. And whatever the circumstances may be, and when Peter realized it was the Lord, he cast his fisher's coat about him and jumped into the sea. Why? He was ashamed. Just love to spend time even on that itself. He was ashamed. Ashamed of what he had done. Ashamed of what he had said. And there the very one he had denied had come to him. Had returned to restore him. And he was ashamed. The Lord is able to lay bare the nakedness of our sin. The Lord wrought this miracle that night and it brought those seven faltering disciples into fellowship with him because quickly you have the call. In verse 12, the Lord said, Come and dine. But look at verse 9. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Where'd that come from? What I believe? I believe the Lord created it. He's able to do that. He created the fire and the fish and the bread. And then we read, he said in verse 12, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Now they knew it was the Lord. Come and dine. It's amazing. Again, after all those disciples had done, here the Lord comes to them that morning. Calls them children. Sirs, have you any meat? And now he says, Peter and your friends, come and die. Hosea 14 verse 4 says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. You have there then the catch and the call, come and dine. And then you have the communion. Communion. And Peter and the others were restored. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. The Lord has told the Peter, I have something more for you to do. Isn't that something? 
And no matter how often we fail that they are saviour. And we think we're finished. The Lord will say to us, come and die. And he'll restore us unto himself. Bring us into fellowship and communion once more with him. What a tremendous portion of scripture this is. What a tremendous saviour we have. Let's bow our heads in prayer. O Lord, in the stillness, the close of this meeting, we would say with the hymn writer, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the pleasures of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Saviour art thou. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis nigh. Lord, it's been good to be in thy house today. It's been good to spend time in the Word and looking and looking and looking at the Saviour. And again, O oh Lord, we've come to realize how unlike him we really are. O oh Lord, I pray thou would do a work in my heart that I might be conformed to the image of his person. Lord, bless all in this congregation. Send in a shepherd. Man of thy choosing, a man after thine own heart. To minister the word here. Dear Lord, be with us throughout this week. Bless us in our going out and coming in, our down sitting and in our uprising. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide and remain with us now and until the day break and the shadows all flee away. Amen.